You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Well, welcome to the 2020 uh, National Youth Workers Conference the North Valley Baptist Church, Santa Clara, California. And uh, I must say, this is my very first virtual conference. Never did one like this before. And I would probably suppose that you have never done one like this either. And so first thing I can say is I'm glad we just found out some way to get it done. I've said all along these last three months, uh, let's not focus on what we cannot do, but rather let's focus on what we can do. And for that, I have such a high regard for uh, Pastor Jack Treber, uh, Brother David Russ, and uh, just finding some way uh, to get the youth conference uh, to as many young people as we can. I looked at the speaker lineup, Joseph Brown, and uh, in Iowa, of course, um, Mike Ray and Mike Johnson, uh, my dear close friends right here in the state of California, Brother Mark Swanson uh, from Illinois, uh, of course, Justin Cooper right here on staff, uh, then David Russ, your youth pastor, and then thank God, just thank God uh, for Jack Treber, all these years, having a heart for that next generation, having a heart for young people. And I believe that's amazing, amazing. And I can say this, if you listen to any message, uh, make sure you listen to uh, Brother Trevor's message. I guarantee you, the heart of the conference, uh, the heart of reaching the next generation has come from that man. And that's why we're here today. So here we are, our very first virtual youth conference, uh, making the very best that we can. And may I just begin by saying, one of the greatest problems that has come out of my generation is the successes we've had and now it's come to your generation, uh, such as that of apathy, uh, frustration, that of even depression. Uh, may I say this, in my generation, uh, we, we just live by the seat of our pants. I mean, we enjoyed every bit of life. And to think now that young people are going through tough times and, and depression times and identity crisis, uh, we didn't even know of those things. And so there is, a, there is a need to be able to preach to the young people today, especially when it comes down to no hope, no hope. And may I just say this? Oh, yes, there is. Oh, yes, there is. Now, I'm so glad that I was uh, asked to preach uh, at this youth conference. I don't take that lightly. I'm in an empty auditorium. Not even the cameraman is here. He just took off. And so I thought, why would I do this? I'll tell you, you, just you, uh, to invest in the next generation, uh, to care about you, to care, care about your life, and to want the best for you. Uh, every one of us, I guarantee you can say these words. We want to see you live the very best of your life to the full of your ability and have God's blessings upon you. And boy, that's what God desires also. Now, we realize most of us in this uh, speaker lineup, uh, I'm not the oldest, I'm not the youngest, uh, but I know this, uh, I am in my generation, which is different from your generation. I'm in the fourth quarter of my generation, uh, just like Santa Claus. Uh, if I were here with you publicly, 
I've asked how many of you believe in Santa Claus, and some would no doubt still raise their hand. A second question, how many of you don't believe in Santa Claus? And most of the youth would raise their hands, I don't believe in Santa Claus. But there's a third generation, how many of you are Santa Claus? In other words, you have to buy all the gifts for everybody else, right? And I've been in that generation. And then when you get to my age, you start looking like Santa Claus, and that's the fourth generation. Kind of like hair. Hair, fuzz, is, was. And that's my, likewise, I'm in that last generation. I like the second grade girl uh, who went and asked her Sunday school teacher, who was very, very old, and she said, uh, were you on the ark? What? Said the teacher, what? On the ark? Of course I wasn't on the ark. And then the little girl looked up, she goes, well, how did you make it through the flood then? And uh, so she really thought she was that old. And I know you think I am that old also. But you know, some we're from a different generation. Uh, I, growing up, had a dial telephone. You put your finger in a number, drew it around there, let it go, and went back and did it again and did it again. You had to dial the numbers. We had cords on our phones, and they were attached to the wall. I'm in a different generation. Uh, we had the time when guys called the girls, and now girls call the guys. Um, I remember this. Um, <laughs> I was just telling my people the other day about uh, how parents were and how they had all those rules and guidelines and restrictions. I remember going to the refrigerator, just looking for something. If I opened the refrigerator door for more than three seconds, my dad would say, hey, son, close that refrigerator door. Are you trying to air condition the old house? I thought, well, that'd be a pretty good idea. <laughs> it is pretty warm. Oh, boy, our parents were always actress. I remember taking a bath. You won't understand this. I remember taking a bath, and because hot water was a privilege, and hot water caused your uh, hot water heated to work caused more utilities. And so, uh, we, what's this? When you took a bath, the number one child went in, the oldest, and he would take a bath. After he got done, he would say, I'm finished, and the number two child would go in there. And use the same bath oil. You say, I can't believe that. It's true. Oh, yes, it's true. Uh, we drew the bath water, and the first child got in. The second child got in. Watch this. In my home, I was kid number four. I was kid number four. I remember going to that bath, looking at that water, and I remember seeing that ring around there. I say, Dad, and Dad would say, Son, take a bath. I say, Dad, he said, Son, Tim, take a bath. I said, Dad, and Dad said, What, Tim? I said, I'm cleaner than the water is. I don't want to get in there. But that was true. See, that's the old generation. I remember where tags were worn on the inside and not on the outside. I remember that uh, we even tied our shoes and we wore our shirt tails in, we had belts. And and so it's just a different generation. May I say this? The 60s kind of brought in the state of rebellion. And then the 70s brought in uh, the breakdown of the home and uh, school and, and uh, anarchy. And then the 80s brought in the drugs and violence. Uh, the 90s followed through. Then 2000, we brought in terrorism. And honestly, I can say this. When I was a teenager, I didn't have a care in the world. Uh, as long as I played ball, as long as I was on the ball field, I had a girlfriend, uh, my grades were okay, I didn't have a care in the world. Never thought about taking my life, never thought about uh, uh, hurting myself, never thought about uh, being evil, uh, but it's a different generation. And it seems like there's no hope, no hope, no hope. May I say this, God says, oh, there is hope. 
And so that's why I'm glad I can bring this message today. Uh, do you understand all of the miracles that Jesus did? He did them for a reason. I think about the feeding of the 5,000 uh, by some young boy who gave his lunch. And the boy gave his lunch. But Jesus took that lunch and he multiplied it and fed 5,000 men uh, plus women plus children. Maybe 20,000 people. Hey, but the truth of the matter is Jesus could take that little and multiply it into much. And may I serve every young person here uh, listening to this message that God can take your little and God can take your talent and God can take your personality and God can take your own person and he said you know son I can take that and I can multiply it and use it for great things I think about the healing of the impotent man uh, the man that lied by the pool of Siloam and Jesus went there and he says uh, sir uh, wilt thou be made whole and the man said this uh, how can I except some man should help me and Jesus didn't use the water Jesus just said sir rise up take thy bed and walk now that's exactly what happened a man for years uh, could not walk probably had skinny as two big legs and could not get around and yet when Jesus said uh, rise up take up thy bed and walk uh, uh, muscles came upon his legs and, and he got strong again he rose up took his bed and walked away now that was a true miracle but the meaning behind that was is that Jesus can take our weaknesses and make them strengths. Jesus can take our weaknesses and make them strengths. Let me serve notice. If anybody will honestly say, I'm the least one qualified to ever stand behind a pulpit and preach the message, it'd be Tim Rule. It'd be Tim Rule. Uh, grown in a broken home, uh, things that happened to us we don't even talk about today, seven marriages and my dad, a mother, uh, six divorces, all the other garbage that went along. I never thought I'd ever stand in front of people, but God can take your weaknesses and say, son, it's me that does it anyway and give you strength. I think about the raising of Lazarus and that Lazarus uh, uh, was dead for four days and, and Jesus came and, and Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. Well, we know the scene there that they had been uh, sorrowing, they had been mourning, and then going through a difficult time, and, and they, they were sorrowful, and yet Jesus raised Lazarus. So here's the truth of the matter. The miracle was Jesus raised a dead man, but the truth of the matter is he can take your sorrows and turn them into joy. He can take your sorrows and turn them into joy. Once you take your Bibles, please, and turn to John chapter 2. John in chapter 2, please. I'm going to read about the very first miracle and then the very application of what it means. We know the first miracle that Jesus performed in recorded history was that of turning the water into wine. Turning the water into wine. Let me read the verses for you. The Bible says, And the third day there was a marriage in Cain of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus entered them. They have no wine. So at this banquet, at this wedding ceremony, they run out of things to drink. Jesus saith unto her, woman, which means dear lady. Jesus would never be disrespectful to his mother. Um, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. Uh, Jesus had never shown his deity. Uh, Jesus had never shown his miraculous power uh, as a recorder up to this date. And so his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, just do it. That's where Nike got their commercial. Verse number six. And there were set there six water pots of stone after the man of the purifying of the Jews, uh, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they fill them to the brim. Notice that. And he saith unto them, Draw out now and bear unto the governor of the peace, and they bear it. 
The governor of the peace was like a food taster, was like a drink taster. And so instead of the, uh, the number one man to find out what is best and what tastes best, uh, they'd have a cup bearer, they'd have a food taster. And this governor of the peace tasted now this new water made into wine, made by Jesus. Here's what he said, verse number nine. And when the ruler of the peace had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom. Verse 10, here's our text. And he saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse, listen, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. Thou hast kept the good wine until now. Let me say it a different way. Thou hast saved the best for last. Whoa! Thou hast saved the best for last. So let me just say this to every young person here, to every single person listening to this message, Jesus can say this, if I am invited into your life, and if you'll do exactly what I tell you to do to the brim, I'll tell you what, and take what I give you, I can guarantee you this, the very best days of your life are yet to come. So yes, the very physical um, uh, uh, turning, uh, the very physical uh, miracle was turning water into wine, but the truth of the matter is, Jesus says these words, hey, with Jesus Christ, there is hope there is hope. Hey, the best is yet to come. I learned this truth when I was in Bible college. I was uh, 27 years of age. I go off to Bible college, and uh, I was just in Bible college. I went through Old Testament survey and New Testament survey. I remember the Bible teacher then in New Testament survey uh, teaching this truth about the first miracle that Jesus saves his best for last. The best is yet to come, and that helped me. I was in Bible college. I was married. I had four children. Uh, I went to college all day long. I, I worked all night long. I studied in the wee hours of the evening. I studied in the wee hours of the morning. I did everything I could. Got to keep my family. Got to get through Bible college. And I remember going through Bible college. And one day I came home in the month of November. Never forget it. It was amazing. I came home in some old rust out, a beat up a Plymouth a, a duster car. And I drove up in front of my a mobile home trailer, a wife and four kids, uh, been to college all day long, ha had about an hour to change, to get a bite to eat, go off to work. I remember pulling up that old dust, uh, that old dust, that rust-eating duster, and the snow was on the ground, and uh, it was late in the year, end of November, early December. I remember pulling up, and there my son was. Uh, my son was Gabriel, and Gabriel was probably about six years of age or seven years of age, and I'll never forget because Gabriel had a, ha had a black pants on and a white shirt and a black tie like he's all dressed up, and he had a little um, um, napkin across his arm. And I thought, what, what are you doing, Gabe? What are you doing? Here's what he said. Hey, Dad, Dad, today's a special day, and, and Mama, I made a special meal for you. Dad, we're proud of you. Going to graduate from Bible college. Got a special meal for you. I couldn't believe it. I got out of that car as quick as I could. I walked with Gabriel up to the sidewalk, and there my second son was, Jesse. And there was Jesse, black pants on, a white shirt on, a black tie. I looked like a waiter. And Jesse, likewise, had that towel just draped right over his arm the best he could. I said, Jess, man, what are you doing, man? What are you doing? He said, Dad, proud of you, Dad. And 
mom has made a special meal, and we're going to celebrate, Dad. You're going to graduate from Bible college. Man, I was excited. I was excited. I walked up those three little crickety steps up in that mobile home, and right there was my daughter, Magdalene, and she had a beautiful, I remember it, it was a maroon, like a ruby color, a crushed velour dress, had her hair all done up, and as, as just as kindly as she can, looked at me, she said, Daddy, uh, happy Daddy, happy Daddy. I was so excited. I was so excited about going to have that good meal. That's what I was excited about. And I walked in the door, and there's my fir- fourth child. There's Natalie, and she's just a baby in that little jumping chair, has no idea what's going on, and she just smiled, Daddy's home. Oh, but then I looked up. And I saw my dear wife on the other side of the trailer, which is about seven steps. You know how those trailers are. I looked up there, and there my wife, that beautiful wife of mine. Oh, 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 I was so, so pleased. And she had her hair all done up, her makeup done just right. And then she had this beautiful white eyelid dress on, and she was stunning. She was gorgeous. And I thought, man, this is so good. I can't believe it. What's going on? And she said, just want to show Celebrate, honey. Gonna make it through Bible college. I just want to have a special meal. I got myself to the table. I cannot believe uh, Gabriel got here and Jesse here and Magdalene over here. And there's Natalie and Aisha. Mama's on the other side. I, I look at this and there's uh, two taper white candles right in the middle. And I thought, this is like a meal for a king. I can't believe it. It's amazing. And so uh, we all sat down, uh, looked around a little bit. And so I looked first to see what was there. Number one, I remember this. We have this piece of roast beef right in the middle. I'm talking about real meat. And when you're in Bible college and four kids and married and paying bills, uh, I mean, spam was a treat and I don't even like spam. And so, I mean, real meat, a real meat. So uh, a succulent roast beef with juices oozing out all over. (laughs) I could not wait. This is going to be good. I looked on my right hand side and there was a bowl of mashed potatoes. I I mean all filled up past the the top of the bowl. uh, All risen up here. And my wife carved out the top and put real butter, not parquet. And it was actually coming down the sides. I thought, man, this is going to be a good meal. I can't wait to eat this good meal. And then on the left hand side was a bowl of um, a good old Indiana, uh, Illinois corn on the cob. I'm not, I'm talking about that Midwestern good old Iowa corn on the cob. I, I mean, so good. You bite into the kernel and squirts the baby in the high chair. That's good corn on the cob right there. So now I got the roast beef and now I got the uh, mashed potatoes and now I got the corn on the cob. And then there's uh, uh, some green beans over here. Well, four out of five is not bad. Oh, but then she has some, uh, uh, some homemade uh, uh, bread. I mean, you have the pan, and then the bread sticks out, and then she slices it this way, and she puts butter in between. Oh, oh, I could not wait to eat. I'm ready to go. Let's pray. Okay, let's be spiritual, right? Hey, when you have a meal like that, you don't have to be spiritual. Don't be praying for all the missionaries around the world. So I prayed. Father, Jesus, Holy Ghost, he who prays the fastest, eats the most. Amen. And we began to eat. Oh, Boy, did we begin to eat. I remember having some of that succulent roast beef and put it on my plate. I remember the mashed potatoes and the extra butter. Oh, I remember getting a piece of that good old Midwestern corn on the cob. And, and yes, because my children there, I had some green beans. I had a slice or two of that bread and the butter. Oh, oh, and I just ate and ate and ate. I enjoyed myself. I pigged out. I ate as much as I could. And that was it. Couldn't eat anymore. Have you ever eaten that much? Have you ever eaten too much? (laughs) I'm sure you have. I remember sitting back there, 
I remember my stomach, so much food kind of rose up against my, my solar plexus, my, 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 my lungs, and whew, kind of short as the breath, and I kind of just bowed my head a little bit. Whew. Whew. <laughs> that was good. I couldn't eat another bite. I'm thinking, I am so stuffed. Uh, I think my innie is an Audi, but I don't want to look. There's all my kids. And, and so I'm just sitting there in a semi-comatose state, enjoying the meal I am having. <sighs> I see out of the corner of my eye, my lovely wife stands up. And she goes over here and takes away Gabriel's plate. And she goes over here and takes away Jesse's plate. She goes over here and she takes care of Maggie. And she goes over here and she wipes Maggie off the best she can. And then I see her slowly walking around to me. I'm still sitting over there. She reaches her hand down. I see it. She leans over and she whispers in my ear those three most memorial words. Here's what she said, honey. Keep the fork. <laughs> Keep the fork. <laughs> hey, watch this. At my house, that doesn't mean I have to do the dishes. At my house, that doesn't mean it's about over. At my house, here's what that means. Something else is coming. There's a dessert coming. And my wife walked across that kitchen and went down to that little oven door. And she opened that door. Boom. And she reached inside with those two pot holders. And she drew out an apple crisp cinnamon pie. I mean, about four inches deep with all the juices going. The Holy Spirit was in that thing. And my wife commenced to go ahead and cutting that apple cinnamon pie and she put it on the plate. She gave Gabriel one and Jesse one and Magdalene one and Natalie one. She served me. I'm thinking, hurry mama, hurry. Hurry mama, hurry. I'm ready to eat again. My slimy glands are going again. I thought to myself, I thought I was done, but hold on. She kept the best for last. Keep the fork Why the best is yet to come. Oh, I pigged out again. I ate all of that apple cinnamon crisp pie. I ate the ice cream with it and now I am way over it's an Audi for sure and my wife comes by and I say hey babe come over here come here I said honey she was what I said honey that was Bible she said what I said that was Bible she goes, you're crazy. That was apple crisp cinnamon pie. I said, no, 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 spiritualize. Jesus said, I always save the best for last. I said, honey, wonderful meal, a wonderful roast beef, mashed potatoes, and, and, and corn on the cob, and homemade bread. Oh, oh, but you saved the best for last. Hey, hold it. Honey, keep the fork. Let me tell you something, honey. Right now we're in Bible college, having a tough time paying our bills. But I tell you what, honey, keep the fork. The best is yet to come. Hey, honey, right now we're living in some little mobile home, and we can reach one room to the other room. But let me tell you something, there is a day coming where the best is yet to come. Hey, honey, just keep the fork. And God has been so good and God has been so blessing. I mean, I just say this, dearly traveling every state of the union, many different countries around this world. God has held to his promise and the best is yet to come. Hey, teenager, three little words. Just keep the fork. Just keep the fork. You may be going through a tough time. Just keep the fork. The best is yet to come. Hey, you may be having to share a room with your brother. Nothing worse than that. Hey, keep the fork. The best is yet to come. You may be going through the stage of life where things are on your face and don't want to go out in public. Hey, 
Hey, keep the fort. The best is yet to come. Hey, Jesus Christ is trying to give you a message, a truth, and the truth is this. Hey, with Jesus Christ in life, the best is yet to come. Just keep the fort. Keep the fort. Can I say this? Satan is the opposite. Satan always gives you the opposite. With Satan, the best is first, and the worst is yet to come. The best is first, and the worst is yet to come. Reading about certain people idolize soap stars, rock stars, athletic stars. You know, some, they look like they have it all, don't they? I remember coming to California to learn about the new bands. One was uh, Beast Boys. They were back in my day. The Beast Boys. Their drummer, Dennis Wilson, 31 years of age. Uh, in Pasadena, California, the yacht docked. Only about 12 foot of water. Yeah, they had an inebriating drunken party. Dennis Wilson fell off the, the bow, fell into the water, so drunk he couldn't swim. Everyone else was so drunk they couldn't save him. And he died at 31 years of age being drunk. You see, Satan gives his best first. And the worst is yet to come. I know it dates my age. Uh, Jimi Hendrix was the first black star that really came to stardom. And Jimi Hendrix had a song called Purple Haze. Purple Haze. Uh, purple haze was about acid, and acid was a drug they took to hallucinate and things like that. And old Jimmy Hendrix was a big old three-foot fro, would come on the stage, and all the lights were dim, and the smoke would bellow out, and they put purple lights on it, and you see a song, Purple Haze, and Purple Haze, and he's just go out and get high on drugs and live your life. After a big gig, after a big concert, he went to his penthouse suite on the top floor, and he had a bunch of buddies around, they're all partying and drinking and smoking dope. After they left, he wanted to cap it off. All he wanted to do was just go ahead and get high that night. So he went ahead and took his arm and sat down with his back against the couch, put his back against the couch, and got his little paraphernalia out. And with that paraphernalia, he got a rubber hose. And he took that rubber hose and, and put it around his arm and, and tied it off. And he got a little a bunch of burn over here, a flame over here, and, and got a spoon and, and put some acid in there and, and got it all melted down and took a syringe and, and, and put that syringe in, and, and put a syringe right there in his arm. And I wanted to get high. I wanted to kick it back for the night and put that syringe right in his arm and oh want to get high that night oh it's gonna be good uh, something happens every once in a while it happens to common people you take medicine sometimes you get an allergic reaction oh he got an allergic reaction sometimes watch this sometimes when druggies do drugs they call it a rush it's a drug term when you put that hypodermic in there and you inject that those drugs into your veins uh, the acid into your veins uh, sometimes that drug goes right to your mind it's called a rush it's called a rush and Jimi Hendrix, age 26, has such a rush, he didn't even take that hypodermic out of his arm. He just laid back. Just laid back. Oh, oh, oh. And something happened. That allergic reaction caused what they call the shakings of extremities. And it starts in your feet, it starts in your hands, and they just start shaking like this. And his feet started shaking. Then it came down to his arms, and now he's laying down on the floor next to the couch. And now his arms are moving, and now his legs are moving, and now his torso, now it's just going up and down and things like that. Now the inside muscles are doing it, and his esophagus and his solar plexus, and now they're all convulsed. He starts to regurgitate, and now it comes back down on top of him, and he suffers a case in his own vomit at 26 years of age. Hey, let me tell you something, teenager. Hey, Satan gives you his best first, but the worst is yet to come. They don't tell you those stories. They tell you parties, having fun. Let me just serve you notice. Someone's going to offer you some drugs. Do you know where they came from? Do you know where he got them from? 
Can you imagine taking drugs from a 16-year-old who got them from somebody on the street, from got them from someplace else, and you're going dig- to digest them in your throat or up your nose or in your vein? Are you serious? Are you serious? Oh, it looks fun. I know, but the worst is yet to come. Hey, the worst is yet to come. Hey, hear my voice. The worst is yet to come. Think about another man, no lady, Janice Joplin. Janice Joplin. She was amazing. Now, she was the first lady rock star, just to bring the ladyhood in here, uh, from Austin, Texas. She traveled around this country. And she sang a, a, a song and, uh, about uh, just living it up, just living it up. Cheap Thrills. That was the name of Cheap Thrills. And she go around, put her bandana on, long, long blonde brown hair, and she wear that tight halter top and short shorts, and, and she would go around and, and she smoke dope uh, with a crowd right there, and she go over and take a swig of Jack Daniels, and, and she livened up the crowd. She came back to Austin, Texas, her hometown, and was playing at the great fair there. I want to say forty thousand people gathered, amazing concert. She got on stage, Janice Joplin, welcome home, uh, the, uh, the, the, the kid from Austin, I'm glad you made it. And she sang her song, and she smoked the dope, and, and she drank the Jack Daniels, and, and she strummed that guitar, and she said, yes, 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 uh, cheap thrills, and cheap thrills, and uh, what a night she had. Just like Jimi Hendrix, she went to her penthouse suite way on the top floor, and she wanted to just kick it back, and so she, they call it blotter acid, it's a little piece of paper, quarter inch this way, quarter inch this way. That's as small as this, just a piece of paper. But you soak it into acid, and you lay it underneath your tongue. You let that lay underneath your tongue, and it causes you to start hallucinating. It causes you to start seeing things that are not real. And she sat there in that room, and she's just, wow. And likewise, another allergic reaction. And she just started saying, woo, whoa, woo, whoa, whoa. Then she looked down and she saw blotches uh, uh, right here. Uh, just the reddening of the skin. And uh, like blotches, but very, very seen. And blotches over here. And they started to itch a little bit. And, and then she noticed right here uh, in the joints. That's where they show first. And right here in the joints, the more blotches, the more blotches. And she noticed her legs started blotching up. And she just started itching all over. And she didn't want to do this. She ran to the bathroom and she saw the blotching come up. But she saw green lizards. And she started crying out, no, no, they're here to get me. No, no, no. Uh, the green lizard, she's crying out. 26 years of age, she reached inside and took her straight age razor. Uh, she used to shave her legs and she tried to get them off of her. And she died in a pool of blood on the bathroom floor of her own self. Why? Cheap thrills. Why? Hey, with the Satan, with the devil, the best is first and the worst is yet to come. I guarantee you, you better listen to this preacher and better listen to this warning. You think twice about drinking. You think twice about doing drugs. You think twice about going against your parents. I'll tell you, Satan will make it look so good. Hey, but the worst is yet to come. The worst is yet to come. Watch it. Watch it. You're at the stage of life right now where you know everything. We don't ask our parents for advice. In fact, we try to hide from them. We used to walk with God, now we're running from him. We used to go to church and say, this is the greatest thing ever, and now we don't really pay attention. I'm glad that you are here. I am glad that you're listening. I'm glad that you want to know something that will help the rest of your life. But I'll guarantee you this, sin only looks good. Sin is better than you think. Sin is not as good as you think it is. Uh, sin is the deception from Satan himself. And be very careful, very careful. Satan always gives you his best first. And before he said, well, the people in the world are having more fun. Uh, for a season, for a season, doesn't last long. I can tell you that. I can tell you that. 
All those things I did I should not have done. I would trade my life for anybody else's not to have done those things. And maybe that's why God allows me to preach to young people to say, you know something, it's not near as good as it looks. Watch it. Satan doesn't have to kill you. You'll kill yourself. He just has to get you started. But with Jesus, who? <laughs> with Jesus, yeah, the best is yet to come. That's why I like Satan gives you his best first, then it gets worse and worse and worse, end up in hell. Jesus, I'll admit this, Jesus, it's hard to swallow. Jesus, it's hard to walk an aisle. Jesus, it's hard to say, I need you. But with Jesus, after that very initial part, taking that wine, taking that juice, and just for parenthetical matter, Jesus did not turn wine, uh, the water into wine, inebriating wine. Jesus Christ would never do that. Uh, it was grape juice, and so he, he gave them good, wholesome things to drink. And that's it. And it got better and better and better and better. Once you invite Jesus Christ into your life, oh, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. I love the story of Samson. It's one of my last verses. It says, and his hair began to grow. I'm hoping for that myself. Samson, here he was, uh, played close to sin, didn't he? Disobeyed his parents, went against his God, married the wrong woman, dated the wrong woman, went to the wrong places. And sure enough, all caught up with him. You know the story. Samson hair gets his hair cut, cut it all off. And now they take him. And they take Samson and they bind him, tie his hands. And then they take a, a, like a hot iron sear and they cauterize his eyes. They blinded him. And then they take him down to the uh, Times Square, right down the middle of town, and, and they put him on a wheel and bind him to it. Sin binds, uh, sin blinds, and sin grinds. And there he is every day being made of fun, made fun of. And there, there, there are all the kids mocking the big guy, and there's all the ladies mocking Samson. And, and sure enough, the Bible says his hair began to grow again. It wasn't uh, months later that I'm sure that they released Samson from that grinding wheel. They brought him to this massive coliseum, this massive arena. 3,000 of the big cheeses were there. And sure enough, they put him out there and they made sport of him. They had these gestures going around with pokers and, and poking him, making fun of him. He can't see. And then, then they go out there and uh, uh, they trip him and push him down. He can't see. After they made fun of him for a while, they told him to go ahead and take him back outside. They're going to strap him to a pillar. A little boy led him out there and he said, hey boy, hey boy, where's those two pillars in the front? And sure enough, they took him, that, that little boy took him, Samson, those two pillars, and Samson applied his hand on one side, they applied his hand on the other side, he looked down at that boy and said, hey son, get out of here. Hey, scoot boy, scoot boy. And that boy started to take off, he turned around, hey Samson, yeah, what's that around your neck? <laughs> it's a fork. Hey, it's a fork. Keep the fork. And he pushed those two pillars apart. The Colosseum came down, killed 3,000. Was that why? But God saved the best for last for Samson. And even those things have gone wrong. Everything's got hard. I know this with Jesus Christ. Hey, the best is yet to come. Hey, keep the fork. The best is yet to come. I love the story of Daniel. Now, Daniel was cool. And Daniel was a teenager, got through those teenagers' years, would not defile his own body, stood up to the number one power of the world. I'm not eating that, I'm not drinking that, and God honored him. God honored him. Hey, troubled kid, no doubt about it, living in a heathen country, parents probably murdered, a sister defiled, and there he was, not wanting to be there, but he did what God told him to do. And sure enough, you know the story of Daniel. 
and God made him ten times wiser, and God promoted him, but then a law degree came out. You're not allowed to pray to any other God because they tried to trick Daniel, and Daniel went to his room and still prayed three times a day. Sometimes we need to know this. You obey God over man, and you obey God over government. We may need to hear that today, and so that's exactly what Daniel did, and Daniel obeyed God, and sure enough, he was thrown into the den of lions. We don't talk about that much, honestly. <laughs> den of lions. You know, it wasn't like they had them all in a little cage. Uh, they, they would actually uh, dig out a whole pit. Uh, they'd find like a rock quarry and they'd dig it out. Uh, I'm talking about maybe 12 feet down the ground. And it'd probably be like a 50 by 50 area. And they lay this massive iron grit all over it. And they come there and they throw a, 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 a animals down there and they let them go ahead and feed on those animals and feed them meat and, and, and things like that. But when they wanted to kill someone, uh, they would starve those lions. They would starve those lions. Now, just a little animation here, but can you imagine those lions? What's going on here? Why aren't we eating? What's going on here? I don't know. It's like we're fasting as lions, you know. And there's 25, maybe 30 lions uh, used in an area like that. And uh, sure enough, the day came and uh, all of a sudden they pulled away. They're great. And they look up there. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. And there's Daniel. There's Daniel. I believe Daniel was uh, kind of like maybe a plump little guy, you know. And there he is. And, and there's the king not wanting to do it. And yet the decree said, if you pray, you got to do it. And they took Daniel. And boy, they, they cast him into the lion's den. Can you imagine Daniel being thrown down and landing down there? The fear that come across him. I believe he just stood there. I believe he just laid there. And all of a sudden, these lions are circling around and, and circling around and circling around. And I'm not sure which one. Maybe I got in that, uh, uh, that uh, uh, hunch and, uh, and leaped upon Daniel and opened his mouth. Ah! 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 All of a sudden, Daniel realized God shut their mouths. <laughs> God Hey, 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 God shut their mouths. Can you imagine Daniel now? 25 lions around. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Ah, this is so good. God shut their mouths. And sure enough, uh, he goes over there. He's playing the whiskers. He's wheeling their tails. He's laying in the midst of, hey, God shut their mouths. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, how about us? Not, not amazing for us. Daniel's talking to the lions. He said, I, I know, I know it's not good, but, but what? Well, I'm not sure what's going to happen, but God shuts them out. I know, I can't eat. What's going to happen now? Well, I think tomorrow, once the king sees that I'm not dead, I will be released. Yeah, well, how about us? Well, I think tomorrow he will throw all of my accusers down and their wives and their children. Oh, yeah? Smorgasbord. Lots of food. Yeah, yeah, that could happen tomorrow. <laughs> and so sure enough, the next day came and they pulled Daniel out and he looked down there and they gathered all of his accusers against him. He looked around and he said, hey, lions. Yeah, Daniel. What's that around your neck? <laughs> a fork. A fork. Hey, Daniel, the best is yet to come. Hey, the lions knew it. Hey, Samson knew it. I can go all the way through the Bible. Hey, with God in life, the best is yet to come. Just keep the fork. Just keep the fork. I ask sometimes why I get to do this. I really do. I love pastoring the church. Been doing it for 32 years. Got about 40 years in ministry. Started at the age of 23, ran a delinquent children's home. Just wanted to help kids. I really did. I never thought I'd get asked to preach here. Honestly, humility, humbleness, 
haughtiest way on the coldest side. I am blessed anytime I get to preach in any place. And I mean that. If anybody knows about hope, well, I know about it. So I'll tell you about the day that changed my life. It's May 16th, 1964. I was seven years of age. My dad, as I mentioned, was married four times. My mother was married three. Six divorces. Moved from home to home. I, I can't tell you. I can't tell you every place I lived. I wouldn't tell you everything that happened to me. I am. Uh, I hated my stepdad. I'm not talking about like I hate him. I'm talking no. I loathed, I hated, I detested my stepdad. He was a, a short, five foot ten, burl chest, uh, straight crew cut, uh, just meaner than a junkyard dog. I hated him. He did things that I would never talk about. My, my brothers and sisters never talked about. But he hated my mother. He, he married my mother. Had, had a child with her. He hated my mother. He, he beat the fire. I'm not talking about shoving. I'm not pushing. I'm not talking about kind of kicking. I'm not talking about slapping on the back. I'm talking about boom and boom and boom and boom. And, and I'd wake up in the morning and go downstairs. My mother's laying on the kitchen floor. Laying on the kitchen floor. She's got sunglasses on. Bruised all around herself. I, I can't tell you how many times I, I heard the sirens. And I heard the ambulance come to my house. I, I watched them bring the gurney in. I watched them pick my mother off the floor and take her to the hospital. Uh, being young, we weren't allowed to go. Hated staying home with a drunk. Hated staying home with a, a mean stepdad. Hated it. I didn't like waking up. I, I didn't like coming home from school. I didn't like walking into a house. He just did not want to be there. Had to watch every word. Had to watch everything you did. I remember getting the fire beat out of me one time that my lips were bleeding, my nose was bleeding, both my ears were bleeding out of there. I was just covering up the best I could. I hated that man. Then the day came. May 16th. We had left my stepfather in the middle of the night, 2 a.m. in the morning. I remember stealthily sneaking out of the house. My mother was in such fear I remember looking at me and saying, shh. And we woke up and we stealthily walked out of the top of that house, second floor, down those steps, across the field, got in the car and we took off and we relocated. Relocated. Different school. My mom got a different job. On that May day of 1964, my mother got up early that morning and put her black tights on, a modest black skirt, a black top, black hose and black shoes. She worked at the Keyhole Restaurant Salem Avenue, Dayton, Ohio. She put a little tiara on. That was the one thing all the waitresses did. She went to work that day. Day like any other day. She clocked out at 4.30 and walked out in the parking lot, got in her car. Parking lot only probably had maybe, maybe, maybe 30 parking stalls, 15 this way, 15 this way. You backed out. Only one way in, one way out. Restaurants at the end of it. My mama... Of course, being there early, got up here, got in the car, backed out, started driving up. She looked up, and there he was, Joe Woodruff. My stepfather found where my mom was, found out where she worked. Right in the middle of that day, 4.30 in the afternoon, my stepfather walked right in front of that car where she could not get out. He walked to the front of that car and kind of put his hands on the hood of that car and kind of just made his way around to the side driver's seat window that was open. My mother's sitting there. 
And Joe Woodruff put his hands on that open window and he said, Jenny, name is Virginia. Jenny, come home. Come home, Jenny. My mother never looked at him. My mother's lips started to quiver. All she said was, no, Joe. No, Joe. No, Joe. My stepfather reached inside his yellow windbreaker. He pulled out a six-shot, 38-caliber, snub-nosed handgun, and he pinned it against my mother's chest. He fired that gun once, twice, three times, four times, five times, and he murdered my mother in the front seat of that car, broad daylight. He walked around to the end, unbuy that bumper, and he put that gun into his head, and he shot his head off. I hated Joe. I'll tell you, I hated God. I didn't care. I was seven. Everything been ripped away. Things been done to me. Never want to done uh, these memories. All this other junk and garbage going on. I, I didn't. I didn't care. Hate everybody. Fast forward. 1988. Graduated from Hyrule's Anderson College Bible College, Pleasant Valley Baptist Church. Called myself to be the pastor of that church. I remember going there, getting moved in. I remember one of the very first Saturdays, started knocking on doors in my neighborhood. I remember it just as clear as today. Hello, hello, hello. I'm sorry. Hey, your parents here? What do you mean you don't have any parents? You gotta have parents. Oh, oh, you live with your grandparents. Hey, hey, I live with my grandparents. Hey, yeah, a period of time, I did. I don't remember very well, short time. Hey, but I'll tell you what, starting the bus route right here in this neighborhood, I would love to have you come to church. I mean, come to church. I mean, it'll be great for you. Best thing, a child can, hey, I'll pick you up on tomorrow morning. True story. When the next door. Hello, excuse me, hello, your parents home? No, you gotta have parents, mom and dad home? Uh, what, foster home, foster home? You're kidding me, man. Watch this. I'm a foster kid. I know what it's like to live in this home and live in this home and be good, and then they take you away. I, I, hey, watch this. I'm so excited. I'm starting to bust right in this neighborhood. Your neighbor's coming. I'd like to have you come. It's the best place in the world. You'd ever go, oh, I can't wait to have you come. Oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Hold on, knock on the next door. Same situation. I mean, door after door. How are you doing? Well, I'm a ward of the court. Well, I'm a foster child. Or I live with my grandmother. Or, uh, uh, you know, all, hey, I'll tell you what. Hey, God's got something for you. Hey, I want you to come to church. Went down the end of that block. Never forget it. I thought, I love pastoring. I didn't hear an audible voice. But it's just as I did. I heard God from heaven say, hey, hey, Tim. Hey, Tim. What's that around your neck? <laughs> it's a fork. You see, that's true in my life. The best is still yet to come. And I mean that, teenager. I live a dream. I get up every day and I live in the greatest country there is. I know she's going through a tough time. I don't like what's going on. I don't like these riots. I don't like this... Uh, um, this COVID-19, and I don't like this shelter house, all this, other, but I'll tell you what, it's still the greatest nation on the face of this earth, and I get to live there. I still believe this in California. I live in the greatest state there is, and I want to try to help it the best I can. I have a great family. I have a great marriage. I have a great church, but most of all, I have a great God. I have a great God. I have a great God. Here's what God tells me every day. Hey, son, 
Hey, son. Hey, keep the fork. Hey, because the best is yet to come. One day I get to see him. And one day I get to be in heaven. And one day all these works will come for something. Hey, young person, let me tell you something. Keep the fork. The best is yet to come. Do you have it? Do you have that fork of salvation? Do you know heaven's your home? Do you have that fork of the eternal word of God? Do you do what it says? Do you have the promises of God that he'll see you through every day? Hey, with Jesus, the best is yet to come. I pray in the truth of this message. So many times now I preach at these camps and conferences and, and, and thank God for all those opportunities. But I hear this. Pastor Roe, can I talk to you for a minute? Sure. Brother Roe, I'm, I'm cutting myself. I've been doing it for a long time. Brother Rod, I've been, I've been taking some pills I know I shouldn't take. I, I've been going out places I shouldn't go, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm just hurting. I'm just depressed. I have no hope. I want to take my life. And I want to sit down with you and just say these words. Hey, there's a whole lot more of life to live. Now, you need Christ. You need Jesus Christ. You need his saving grace. Then you need to stay with him and follow his word. And just all the time remember these words. Hey, it's getting better. It's getting better, and the best is yet to come. You don't need a personal illustration, but I can say this. Ever since I've asked Jesus Christ to be my Savior, my life's got better and better and better and better. I can say those three little words. Keep the fork. Father, bless the message. Help these young people, please. I know it's different not having a real invitation, but we can. We may be in a living room. We may be in a bedroom. We may be in a family. We may have friends over there watching this together. We may be by ourselves late at night. But I know this. There's one young person here, one adult here, that's a little down on the cells with this in-house or unemployed or fearful of riots, whatever the case may be. May they realize the truth of the very first miracle. The first thing Jesus wanted to teach us was Jesus Christ, there is hope. There is hope looking for that blessed hope, the reality of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. My sincere prayer is, there's one person listening who does not know Christ as his personal Savior. May they today ask Jesus Christ for his death on the cross to pay for their sins, wash them as white as snow, have a new life in him. There's maybe a Christian that's maybe backed away a little bit or slid away from the Christian life, realize it's not the way I want to live. May they engage once again. May they get right back in God's house. May they follow God's word. May they realize the best is yet to come. Father in heaven, have your way in this invitation. Thanks for being the great God. And may we, may we leave knowing the truth of the very first miracle. With Jesus, the best is yet to come. Thank you for hope. For Christ's sake, I pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.